Welcome to the Dev Ready Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today we have Ben Shapira joining us. Ben's a digital brand strategist and talking all things customer-centric design. Got a bit of focus on e-com, but today we're here to talk about how personas can affect a business and the way you market brand uh, your business out into the marketplace. Ben, thanks for joining us. Oh, good to be here. So Ben, um, tell us a little bit about you, your background, your history, some maybe some of the things that you've worked on in the past. Sure. I've been working in the digital marketing space for about 24 years. I'm originally from Toronto, Canada, and I've worked for some digital specialty agencies, but mostly I've been working for some of the big multinationals as in a leadership position. My last leadership role was head of digital for Clemenger BBDO. Okay, so some some big roles there. So as a mm. part of so twenty four years in this space, you've seen a yeah. lot of change. I would imagine. Wow. <laughs> like, when I started, Microsoft front page extensions were all the rage. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I haven't heard of that for for you. <laughs> so over the journey, what are some of the things that you've seen? Any fads across the journey? So what, what have you seen in the space that's grown, come in, come out? Well, it's it's interesting because when you first started back in nineteen ninety six. Uh-huh. I'm trying to convince businesses that the internet was of value to them was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Most businesses, uh, the technology was still very juvenile. So most businesses just had brochure sites and e-com was incredibly expensive. Nowadays, what we're seeing is there's so much more data. The investment in software development has become, has made sort of e-commerce almost ubiquitous. The barriers to entry are literally more just time. I mean, you can set up a Shopify site within an hour if you really wanted to. Correct. Mm-hmm. So much more commoditized now. Absolutely. Mm. And that sort of really ter- pushes things both ways. It's a good thing in the fact that the barriers to entry are low and that everyone gets a chance to get their businesses online, especially in sort of the COVID area where you've got middlemen like manufacturers, wholesalers, distributors who have historically not had a direct-to-consumer presence but now they're sort of left with inventory that they have to get rid of. And until the retail space comes back, they've been a lot of them have been coming through for advice on how to, to build an e-commerce presence. On the flip side, the commoditization of the product has also lent itself to having some very poor executions that have it, there's been a bit of, bit of a stain on the idea of web development as a whole in some cases. And, and you've seen this in areas like SEO and SEM in the past. The web development kind of needs to you know, brush up a little bit to make sure it polishes its reputation. Yeah, it's, there's, there's web developers and then there's web developers who know what they're doing. Yes, exactly. I think that's what it comes down to. Because it, it's so easy to do, everyone can jump into it. And if someone's done it for a little bit of time, they think they can do it as a job or for other people. Yes. Or And they get in over their head too quickly and they don't really <laughs> Yeah. Is a nice way of saying it. <laughs> it's like the old days when you used to have uh, someone's cousin's friend's daughter's brother-in-law used to be a graphic designer and they would design you a logo. And nine times out of 10, they would just open up Microsoft Office or Microsoft Word, type in your name and change the font and that would be it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great level of skill set there. But like you said, it's very easy to, like e-com, right? So mm. Shopify website can turn it on in an hour. Doesn't mean you're an e-com developer. No. Yeah. So it's a... it also doesn't guarantee you any sales, and that's sort of the flip side of things as well. Just because you have a presence doesn't necessarily guarantee you any value in the long term. Yeah. So business is not about opening up the a doorstep. In the in the back of the day, it was um, 
putting a sign up and opening up a door to a retail shop doesn't mean you're going to get sales. It's the same thing, right? So nothing's yeah. really changed there. It's about how do you market it? How do you differentiate? Why are people actually going to be drawn to you? There's so much noise out there. How do you differentiate in the first place? How are you attracting exactly. customers, right? Yeah, and really what that comes down to is understanding your audience. And this, I think, lends itself to the topic today is, you know, understanding your, your customers. Yes. Where are they? Who are they? How do you attract them? How do you leverage them? And how do you build your business off the back of your, of your customers? Because historically, we've built e-commerce presences around the business processes, around mm-hmm. how the business wants to operate. And I think one of the great trends in e-commerce is that we're moving towards a consumer-centric approach. So we build around how the customer would prefer to engage with your brand as opposed to how your brand would want to uh, force your consumers to engage. Let's dive in on that. So the topic that we're we're talking about, personas. So Mm -hmm. personas are type of customers, people, who are they? Yeah, what do they care about? What do they they love about your brand? How are you going to attract them? What would you consider a persona to be? Well, so historically, we've described customer segmentation was the historical term. Mm -hmm. And we would basically describe them in in sort of broad strokes based on about 100 years or so worth of traditional marketing approaches. So we've used typical demographic breakdowns like age, education, disposable income, uh, where they're physically located. And we've sort of used those, those terms to give us a broad sense of how we would break down our audiences. And I'll give you an example the primary grocery buyer. Mm-hmm. This particular persona typically is a woman between the ages of roughly, say, 25 and 40. So it covers a couple of different age demographic splits. She typically has 2.2 kids, You know, very time poor, a bit of a split on whether or not she's working or not. Historically, she was a stay-at-home mom. Now, as we get to more modern times, she may or may not have a job. But the great thing about the digital side of things is that it's given us so much richer data sets to pull and it's given us the ability to really take our storytelling of how we describe our customers into far more detail than what we could historically. Uh, and that's a little bit to do with stuff like Google Analytics, but mostly where it comes of, of great value to us is the social media side of things because it allows us to capture interest-based segmentation. So we understand you know, what our audiences like to do, what their hobbies are, what their friends like to do, what kind of activities they like to do. And it really builds a richer story around our customers. So the idea of customer segmentation has now allowed us to break down our consumers into what we now call personas. Um, typically, they're Basically, uh, when I teach my students at Swinburne, I usually basically tell them, tell a story about your customer, choose a photo, give them a name, give them a background story. So you might have the primary grocery, but you might have Julie, who's 32 years old. She's a junior executive at an advertising agency. She's got two kids. She's very, very short on time. She wakes up in the morning. She's cooking breakfast for the kids. She's also making them lunch. Her husband is in the bathroom getting ready for work. He's obviously no help with the kids. She's making sure the kids get off to school and and is constantly rushing so she can get to work as well. And that story develops over the course of a day. You basically tell an entire story. You get a sense of who she is as a real person and not just a number on a piece of paper. 
that's the the general gist of of how personas are developed. And what's the like in terms of telling that story and telling the story of the customer? How do we go about if you're you're building a product, a brand, a business? How would one go about getting this data? You mentioned a couple of things there, but where would they look first? What would you recommend? Right. So if you already have an existing business, mm-hmm. typically what you do is you start off with stuff like Google Analytics. If you have a customer base, you'd send them. You can do market research surveys to get a sense of, you know, how old they are and if they'll answer certain questions around stuff like how much money they earn, what kind of education level they have. And you can make some inferences based on that. And you can, there are sites that you can go to that will help you decipher where those, those responses will allow you to sort of pick a persona for your audience. If you don't have that information, and you're starting a brand new business. Mm-hmm. And typically, businesses will create inferences and say, I think that my customers will be in this space. Majority of times when you're doing a startup or a brand new business, you may be somewhere around 50-50 right and wrong. It depends on, on how well you know your business, how well you know your market segment, how much research you've done. In my particular case, for my startup, I'm investing a huge amount of time talking to people in the industry that this app is going to be developed for mm-hmm. to understand who these people are, what makes them tick, what features they would prefer as a minimum viable product, and what features can wait for a sort of a second or third iteration. So it's really important to ask questions more than anything else, and then to collate their information in a sense of like what the priorities are. From your perspective, why is that so important? What value do you get from it? And what value do the customers actually get from you engaging with them at that level? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I suppose if you look at it from so just two different ways, one's what the benefit to the business is and what the benefit to the consumer is. The benefit to the business is more targeted advertising. Marketing and advertising is a, an expensive proposition. Mm. And by being more specific on who your audience is, it allows you, say in the social space, you can target people based specifically on their interests. You can target them based on their demographics, on their education levels, disposable income, membership to specific organizations, for example, and that really helps you narrow your audience. It's There's a bit of a balance to be had about not being overly prescriptive, mm-hmm. narrow your audience to such a degree where you don't speak to anybody else, <laughs> Get it? Yeah. which happens quite a bit, ironically. But you want to, I mean, think of it like an egg. You have the yolk being your very specific, narrow target audience, and then you have the white of the egg, and that is your broader audience that encapsulates both your primary audience and more of a secondary audience as well. So I always tell my clients that every business will have at least two personas, one being the primary audience, the second being more of a broader audience that may be a potential customer in the future. Okay, so there'll be a bit of a crossover between the two in some aspects, or could they get completely different in that perspective? Usually there's overlaps. Usually they're an extension. So say, for example, you may have a fashion brand. Mm-hmm. You may have a specific age category. And that you may target a younger or older audience that may have people who may be of value to you as well, especially the younger side, because they typically will grow into the brand. Mm -hmm. And that's really important to understand from a brand perspective is the the longevity of your customer. And that's, once again, part of that persona, that research is um, understanding their entire history that they'll have with your brand. And there's, there's methodologies that allow you to sort of map out what that consumer engagement process would look like with your brand. So, yeah. No, sounds interesting. So in saying that, so if you're understanding that your customer, so if you've got a brand that's targeting an 18 to 24 year olds, yep. 
if you know that they're going to age up, would you start then targeting the next bracket where your your clients are going to move into? And yeah, come I'm... up with services and products to facilitate to keep them as loyalists against your brand for the lifetime. Yes, I would certainly recommend that you consider your audience will some of your younger audience will age into the product, and some of your customers will continue to be brand loyalists even if they extend beyond what is sort of a stereotypical age bracket that you assess for your customers. Because you know these, it's important to understand that these personas are not monolithic, that they are our best way of describing, in a general sense, our audiences. If you wanted to talk about more specificity, that's when you get into stuff like single source attribution data, and that's very, very highly targeted marketing messaging. That's a whole complicated story in itself. This is more about being very general. So single source, to explain what that is for anyone listening out there. Sure. For me. It's interesting oh, technical yes. stuff. It's actually a lecture that I give to scare my students every year. <laughs> There's actually a couple of different plugins that you can get for Chrome and Firefox, and they'll, they'll actually map your engagement on the web with third-party vendors. Okay. And the idea basically is attributing multiple sources of disparate data to a single individual. And the best way for us to do that is a mobile phone. It's a single piece of hardware ID. You carry it with you all the time. Typically, it carries your banking information, your messaging history, your contact data, your GPS location, your search behavior, your health information, along with you know your reading preferences, all sorts of different things. And if we collect that information and we collect it in aggregate with you know, hundreds of thousands of other people, we can make inferences of who your friends are, what your political leanings are, what your interests are, how much money you earn, what kind of influences you might have. And it's kind of interesting. Well, while we don't necessarily know your name, we can target you very, very specifically. And this has this is actually what had some very uh, interesting impact on the 2016 US election, for example, how that information is used to target rather than uh, an entire persona, mm-hmm. a sub-segment within a specific persona. So, you know, you can target people based on their specific choices in terms of, you know, their religious affiliation, their political affiliation, their choices around specific political issues. Yeah, there's so much that technology has opened up in terms of how we can market and so much tracked right now. And everybody, I think some people just don't realize how much you were being tracked in terms of what's going on with our search history, Google's following us around or Apple is, whatever it might be, depending on the tech you're using. It's just, yeah, it's all around us and we're all opened in terms of where we're at. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the, that many people who have Alexa or Google Home mm-hmm. or these types of these devices don't really appreciate the fact that while you know Google will say, oh, we're not listening to you all the time, the idea that they're not is not, not I don't want to swear, but you know, it's, a, it's a little bit of bull. Uh, the fact is that you know, in order for them to listen to you to say the key phrase, to wake up the device, they're listening to you. And historically, Facebook has denied that they're listening to you in the background on your phone, as long as the phone is on and woken up. And typically, if you you can measure that. I mean, if you have a conversation with your friends and you're constantly checking your phone, they're hearing little bits of your conversation about you know your plans to travel to Bali next year. And you know, very soon you end up seeing ads for Bali. It's inevitable that that the fact is that we're all being listened to and our personal privacy is at stake. And But it's really important to understand that those personas and that data that's being collected has both 
positive and negative connotations. We know we're sort of briefly talking about the negative, but the positive is for brands is that they can really effectively communicate with their customers and that as a customer, you get to get targeted with, with ads that will actually you know, provide some value to you, will, will speak to your interests and provide you with you know, Black Friday and, and Cyber Monday is, is, is on right now, and you will get deals specifically for your hobbies and interests. And, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it's better to get targeted stuff. It's better for the business and for the consumer because then it's actually yes. something they might be interested in rather than the blanket ad campaign that tries to target 10 million people and has a 2% hit rate. Exactly right. You know, Instead of having a billboard on the freeway which targets all 1.5 million people coming over the Westgate, you can target people on, say, Facebook or on, uh, on Google AdWords. You'll spend a fraction of what it would cost for the billboard and you'll actually capture people who are specifically in that conversion funnel who are prepared to purchase. And that specificity that you can get out of Facebook and Google has changed the landscape dramatically from when it happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's surprising how detailed it gets. But it, look, from, from a brand perspective, if you're trying to grow a social presence, content is key, but how do you know what content is going to resonate? Well, Facebook will give you a sense of the size of your audience based on the kind of interests and demographics that you put in. And they've recently, ironically, this new product that they've offered is called Facebook Experiments. And it actually allows you to conduct A-B split, split testing. So you can trial different messaging to your same demographic group and see what messaging will actually be more effective so that you can target your ads and your, your valuable investment in a much more tailored way. Yeah, it's hard to put a price on that for a business to be able to mm -hmm. run that with a couple of clicks of a button mm -hmm. yeah. and refine the message near instantly if you're getting enough traffic mm -hmm. and then increase conversions as a result. Especially if you are a new business or yeah. a business that is potentially has a limited budget, this gives you much more control over targeting your specific audience and growing your business effectively and organically, so you're not looking for business loans and that sort of thing, it's it's a great way to uh, to move forward. Yeah, even just from our little dabbling into Facebook ads that we've done, the feature that they've got similar audiences, mm -hmm. where you can just drive, you can have the Facebook pixel, which everyone's heard of, that's how they sort of track where you go across the internet, and that's how they can then drive their ads to you. Yes. If uh, you get people it, going to your website, they're tracking those that audience and what their interests are. Yes. You can then enlarge the size of your audience by saying, find me people similar to this group of people without them ever having gone to your website. That's you right. Now target yeah, people who are interested but have never heard of you. Yeah, it's the, the product is called a lookalike audience. And, right. and what there's actually a few ways of using that. So one is, yes, exactly, people who come to your website and who've engaged with other websites, all which have tracking pixels on them, and they can make inferences based on how long you've stayed there, what you've engaged with, what you've purchased. But also, that's, uh, that's using the Facebook pixel. What you can also do is if you have an e-commerce site, you can export the email addresses of your customer base and you can upload them into the system and say, give me a lookalike audience that looks like this email list. And Facebook yep. will match as many email addresses as they can with real accounts, will assess the very disparate demographic data that overlaps between all these audiences, all these individuals, and create a sort of shadow profile to look for across their network. And then we'll start allowing you to organically speak to those people. There's no hiding. 
<laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, even if you don't have a Facebook profile, mm. you have a Facebook profile. You have what's called a shadow account because you're interacting with a pixel. Yes. Um, it's the same thing with Google Analytics mm. is that you're engaging with sites that have this tracking code on it. Mm-hmm. Your webs- Your browser typically allows cookies and it will track you as you move from site to site to site. Even if you set your browser like I do, where it deletes cookies every single time I close my browser, every single time I come back, it recognizes me again. Mm. Yeah, they use all the different metrics that they've got on the browser, the, yeah. everything else, user agents, whatever else they can get. So in, in essence, knowing your persona is, is quite powerful to a business because then you've got ability to market, ability to test, ability to get really hone in on that market, even using those test features in Facebooks, et cetera, you can actually really hone in, understand the messages, what's going to work, what's going to resonate. Is Where do you recommend someone starts in terms of all this sort of stuff? Where should they start sure. if they're thinking about it, if they're in business or if they're new, what should they be doing to get involved in this world? Because if they're not, they're probably missing out on quite a bit, one would imagine. I suppose it depends on how deep you want to get into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I highly recommend that engaging with, with an agency or a consultant yes. is always the best way to go because they have the, the skill set, they have the professionalism, the history to understand the data, what it means, and where to access more information. Mm-hmm. But if you want to educate yourself on an individual basis, looking at your Google Analytics right off the bat, you'll get some you know, pretty basic information. You know, you'll get age splits. You'll get geographic uh, locations and geographic information can get right down to sort of the local council area. You can also look at affiliates. So that would be like finding out what what kind of other categories of interests that these people might have. If you have a Facebook tracking pixel, it'll give you information over what other websites these people have visited, what kind of interests they have, where they overlap. But if you want to educate yourself around what personas are, what kind of general breakdowns and demographics that we typically use and what we call them. Mm-hmm. There's basically three main websites that I would suggest that you would look at. One being Pew Research, which is based out of the US. All of these services are, they have a free component and they have a paid component. Nielsen Data. Nielsen has a fantastic set of segmentation rules and you can actually have a product that allows you to query through their systems and there's one other one called helix personas and with that one it actually allows you to understand the actual name of the personas and provides you a little bit more of a demographic breakdown and adds to the knowledge that you already have Mm. so there's there's some good tips there just to close the loop to give people a bit of an understanding of the power of your persona and what this can mm-hmm. do within a business. Can you talk to some examples of how you've utilized this, grown campaigns and what sort of results you may see if you did, you do get this right? Yeah, sure. So I had a, a client in the fitness space a few years ago and looking through their data, looking through actually going to multiple different venues, their national chain and speaking to their customers and speaking to the sales staff and then sort of referring back to some of these, these research firms, I was able to sort of break down that the type of customer that was coming in could be broken up into sort of four key areas of interest. And it was partly based on age and time and, and locations, but a lot of it had to do with you know, what, they're, what they wanted to achieve. And those, those goals, or what we call fitness solutions, 
it was really interesting because a lot of them had gender splits, age splits, had differences in disposable income, ironically. Interesting. But what it allowed us to do was to segment the website, segment our marketing so that we could be more specific to each person's specific objectives. Mm -hmm. And then when they arrived at the website, we were able to differentiate the content and the marketing that we spent to that particular individual, customize the forms and change change the messaging on the on the free trial forms. Okay. Yeah. That specific, right? It's Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And that that information actually went straight through through a bunch of hidden form fields uh-huh. directly to the sales team. So we were able to tell them to the sales team. So there's there's a, a bunch of different attribution methods. Uh-huh. First click, last click, and and then there's a linear attribution. First click would be at what point did we first speak to the person? Uh-huh. Last click would be at what point did they become a customer? Mm-hmm. And linear would be track all points of engagement equally. So we understand how frequently you had to talk to them to become a customer. Mm-hmm. So when we were doing our tracking, we provided to the sales team was, we actually provide them all three. We said, at what point did we first speak to them? How many ads did they see and which ones were they? And then at what point did they become a customer? What is their fitness solution? What is their objective? So this would be like strength training, wellness, weight loss, or general fitness. Mm -hmm. And then we color coded them so that the color coding matched the specific lifestyle objectives. So like wellness was a a very subtle muted green. Fitness was a a very sharp blue. The muscle gain was red. So they all had creative approach as well as a technical approach. And what it did was allowed us to increase the lead generation from roughly around 450 to 500 leads a month to just over 1,800 leads a month nationally. Oh, wow. (laughs) And that, all those went straight into the sales team. So now all salespeople had all the information that they needed to convert. So the conversion rates went from typically one in four to roughly 60%. Great increase. Absolutely. And it also helped to, as they were doing a rebranding exercise, they used that same knowledge to literally design the floor space to color code them based on the fitness solution and it helped uh, retention levels as well, because most fitness studios typically have a, a bleed rate of roughly about 33%. So for every one person, sorry, three people you're bringing in, one person leaves. So by reducing the, the, the rate at which you're bleeding and increasing the way your retention, your retention rates, it means that you can grow your business. So you're able to increase leads by over four times and then yes. increase conversion by two and a half, three times. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Just yeah. by knowing your customer and That's communicating it. them in the way they want to be communicated too. Yeah, that is quite powerful stuff in terms of, uh, I imagine the impact on that business. Absolutely. So once again, this is the difference between speaking as a brand and just speaking to your audience in a monolithic sort of way versus taking a consumer-centric approach to marketing, investing in the personas, understanding who they are, how they want to be spoken to, and what kind of messaging is going to resonate that would convince them that this is the type of product or service that they would want to engage with. So that's the major difference between the two. Investing a little bit upfront in the research side and helping to develop some creative means of communication ultimately will provide you significantly more value in the long term because your customers feel like they're actually being appreciated and being spoken to in a in a way that actually resonates with them. It's more personable, right? So yeah. as a business, if it's communicating the same message to everybody, 
we will lose people because you're not resonating with them if it's the one single message. And I think that's how business has generally been done in the past. But this is, yeah. and whoever's keeping up with this trend is probably evolving beyond their competition quite quickly. One would imagine, given that absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And look, I, I mean, marketing in general mm. is, at least in the consumer side of things, mm. is a very emotional based argument. It's not like business to business where it's more of a, a features and benefits argument. There's, there's definitely an emotional quality. I mean, I tell my students, I try to explain to them stuff around like the primary grocery buyer, which is typically mom and uh, the way that we typically speak to her. And I, I'm really hoping that over time, as we get to, to learn more about her, that we treat her a little bit better because typically the way that we speak to, to, to the mom is we make her feel like she's a bad person and that if she doesn't buy our specific product, that her kids are, are not being treated properly, that the family suffers. So if you look at the way, say, like Target, for example, markets to mom, she will sacrifice brand name clothes for herself. She will sacrifice, aside from typically like makeup, but she'll sacrifice pretty much anything brand name for her. But if you notice, the only brand names that are in the in the business outside of that are for the kids. So you, you market to mom in terms of brand content for the kids, but you market to her for herself, cheap, efficient clothing, so that she can buy more name brand stuff for her kids. It's uh, interesting that you got there. Yeah. It sort of resonates a little bit for me, actually. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you really want the psychology of it, mm. uh, Costco, yes. I think, has done probably one of the most innovative processes where they, they've really evaluated the floor plan of their entire store. Okay. And as you walk in, always what typically happens is that when you walk in, the first thing that you see are electronics and hardware. And the reason for that is to split that off from the family group. Split that off from the family group. Split that oh, off. Right they off want the to go look there, and then mum will take the kids and buy everything. That's right. I've done that when I go in there. I just walk around the TVs yeah. first. That's exactly right. Electronics, and they also have the uh, toys tools. The side, yeah. yeah. And then once dad's split off, because he's more concerned about total cost, like total spend, mm-hmm. once he's separated from the family group, then the next section you go into is typically going to be the area with all the discount clothing, which is mostly geared towards the kids and dad, but you go into the discount clothing area next. And then from there, you go into the groceries. And at the very end, that's when you get into the name brand cosmetics and you get into some of the more family-oriented discounts. So mom is always the last one to be tailored and marketed to, but the family is the family comes first. Which is the way mom generally puts herself in a relationship in a family, right? So it's that's interesting exactly right. the way they've laid that out. Yeah, just yeah. looking at it from a marketer's perspective and how things are put together is quite insightful from my perspective. Hopefully everyone listening out there in terms of why you might need to, if you are looking to build a brand and a business, engage someone that is independent too to your brand. So in terms of talking to that a little bit, Ben, like as a business, would would you recommend bringing someone from the outside in to help look at this with you? Or how would you recommend someone approaching this? Yeah, look, I mean, internally, you can try to collect as much data as you can. But I think engaging an external vendor provides you with both the longevity of their career, so their knowledge of how businesses operate around different consumers, around the psychology of their purchase history, and also allows them to bring knowledge about competitors and competitor behavior and historically how to take those personas 
and leverage them to the, the most or the more maximum effect. And if you also find the right vendor, they will also help you by training you, teaching you what the, the information that they've gathered and explaining how they've come across these decisions and eventually help you learn how to take care of at least the most basic stuff internally and have more of a partnership rather than a symbiotic relationship. But ultimately, yeah, I would say an external vendor will always provide you with greater value. It's um, an interesting take because, yeah, it's probably, they've got the knowledge, they've got the capability. And across any industry, yeah. if you don't have the expertise internally, or you don't employ someone in that has that domain name experience or domain experience for, for years, they're starting from scratch. It's difficult, right? So you don't have that depth and breadth of knowledge and um, information of working with multiple vendors, industries, and all the learning you take with that. That's in any space. There's, that's why there are specialty experts in certain areas, and this is definitely one of those. Yeah, and I look, as a business owner, they're time poor. They need to focus on sales, administration, marketing, production, distribution, logistics. They have so many things to work on they cannot be an expert at everything. So it's really important to surround yourself as a business owner with people who are experts in their field. Now, you have to be mindful that, you know, the more experts that you have or the more vendors you have, the more expensive it can become. However, it's important to take sort of one step at a time. And understanding your consumer is probably the very first step that you ever have to take. And, and keep in mind that this isn't just about acquisition. It's not about just reaching out and speaking to a broad audience, bringing them in and buying. It will also help you with post-sale remarketing, post-sale loyalty, convert, making sure your customers turn into repeat customers, You know, understanding the longevity of their engagement with your brand over either a product life cycle or a consumer life cycle allows you to define all the different points in your engagement with them in which you can then market to them, sell to them, and earn revenue from them. So it's really important that you do your research. It's, it's always much easier to, to work with current clients and we need to support them and nurture them through relationship. It's just selling once off is yeah, not a smart business decision and never going to serve sure. a business longevity, right? So yeah, understanding yeah. them in detail is going to serve you in the long run and keep repeat customers there with you and adding value because the more you understand your customers, the more you can evolve products to serve them better too. It's not just about throwing something down their throat. It's about how do you evolve as a business to better serve yes. the market, the community, and the industry as a whole, I think there's, there's lots to be said to that too. Yeah. I, I mean, look at, if you take baby bunting as an example, mm -hmm. when they come into the store and you have a newborn, for them to start providing you with products and services that meet your specific needs, you know, you're going to obviously need a stroller, you're going to need a proper bedding, you're going to need ways to feed and take care of your, your kid, how to entertain them. But what it also allows them to do is they understand that over the next, until that child is say a toddler or you know a certain age where they grow out of your offering, there's going to be key milestones, and typically that's age-related, at which their service offering, the way that they speak to you, the way they target you, and the products that they offer will need to change. And mapping out what they know about that customer, that journey, and the audience they can develop triggers that will be an automated approach to marketing. And that's typically through your CRM software. 
So that's sort of the flip side of how consumers can be of value to you once they become a customer. Collecting that data post-sale and understanding how you'd engage with them over the duration of their potential value to your business. That makes a lot of sense to anyone that's a parent out there. They have a newborn, they know who you are, and then they can market yeah. you. They know how old the newborn's going to be in a year, in two years, mm-hmm. et cetera. So they continue to market different offers and opportunities to serve that customer better. Sure. I mean, look at how, so say for on Facebook, for example, you announce that you're engaged. Mm-hmm. You're immediately going to start seeing ads for honeymoons, yes. for, you know, for your wedding, for the bands, for the flowers, for your food, all that stuff. But what's interesting is, once you've come back and after say the first year or so, especially if you've either recently announced that you're pregnant or there's some indication that you might be or becoming pregnant, Mm -hmm. what you'll probably end up seeing is not just baby bunting, but you're also going to see ads for life insurance. You're going to start seeing ads for new home purchases. You're going to see pardon cars. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's going to be bigger, more stable vehicles. Mm -hmm you're probably going to go to see ads for more family-friendly uh, vacations as opposed to crazy hedonistic trips. So every brand needs to be able to understand the trigger points, the triggers at which you can enter the lifespan of a customer. And this is the only way you're going to know this is by understanding who that customer is, doing your research on their personas and what their likely longevity will look like. In this area, Ben, Specifically for you, what drives you? What do you love about marketing and this specific area? Why have you been in this industry for 24 years? Look, I mean, I started out as a graphic designer. And in fact, I still do all the UX and UI work for big multinational corporations. Um, I spent the last three years doing all the UX work for, uh, for Repco. And it's been an absolutely fascinating journey with them. What I really like is being able to take a brand that is already in market or is about to hit market help them really understand who their audience is and help them achieve more. And more doesn't necessarily always mean money. Sometimes it's about better value. Sometimes it's better customer service. Sometimes it's about better reviews. But in all senses of the word, it's about putting the customer at the center of the journey and helping the brand better understand their customers. And I, I find the psychology of it you know, quite fascinating and when the results really, you know, turn around, it's always quite satisfying. Yeah, there is a lot of reward for that effort and putting it in, understanding the personas, working with the brand, serving them in the best capacity. In the numbers of increasing leads four hundred four times, et cetera, from the fitness mm-hmm. definition, that's quite satisfying to be involved in that and have a part of that, yeah. one would imagine. Yeah. I mean, if you look at like the growth of the, the Repco audience, mm-hmm. when we first started and launched the site, the average visitation was about 50,000 people a month, mm-hmm. uniques. They're now somewhere just over 2 million a month. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so that growth is partly because of SEO, partly because of UX. I mean, their conversion rates on their website has gone up. I mean, I can't give you specific numbers, of course, okay. but yeah. the conversion rates have gone up by, you know, four to 500% over the three years. And that's because, you know, every single time we've launched something, mm-hmm. We've taken our time to understand the impact that it's had on our consumer segments. We've researched it with them. We've prototyped it, made some changes, presented back a response to their concerns. Mm-hmm. And the changes that we've made have always been you know, positive. So part of this is also understanding how you can better your business 
not just by from a marketing perspective, but also from you know from an engagement perspective with your product, service, app, website, whatever it might be, by understanding how the customer actually wants to engage with you. Mm-hmm. You mentioned at the start we need to understand the consumers and. We're talking to non-tech building better tech, and there's no better way to understand your consumers than getting into this data. Now, it might be someone out listening out there might be B2B, but there is B2B data that exists in the world. So, And then defining product, defining MVP is really should be driven by that consumer. And I think people get a little bit lost when they jump into product and trying to build some piece of technology. They just focus heavily on the tech based on their experience and their little world. But the more you open up to the consumer, the better chance you have of delivering an actual product that's going to serve the industry, serve the consumer, and deliver a better outcome for everybody. And what we've found is generally, the more you dig in to understanding the consumer, the likelihood is you're going to build a lot less because you sometimes you can get just lost in features. When you get into technology, just keep building feature, feature, feature. The more we put, the more that's going to benefit the user. But sometimes that's not necessarily the case. There's more simplistic delivering one, solving one problem can deliver a better outcome for everybody involved. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same It's the same thing in food preparation as it is for e-commerce. Less is more. The more that you can satisfy your customers by a simplistic approach to delivery, a simple message on why they should buy your product, a simple website that allows them to effectively and efficiently buy that product, and then a really good, efficient customer service support team that allows them to feel appreciated after they've become a customer and create the ability to repurchase in the future. That's what every business wants in the end. Mm. Now, you mentioned that during this conversation, we've been talking a lot business to consumer. If you're a business selling to businesses, what are some of the different things I might need to think about in this space? Look, typically the the messaging will change a little bit. The B2B market tends to be more feature-focused, more features and benefits. But keep in mind that there are personas that exist around executives, middle managers, entry-level. And it's really important to understand that executives or anyone that you're going to talk to in the B2B space is also, you can develop personas around that. You're a person, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And they have wants and needs just like everybody else. They have a reason to want your product, a reason to engage with your product or service. And it's important to understand that you're treating them no differently than you treat a consumer in terms of speaking to their wants and needs and treating them like, like an adult. But the difference is that the communication itself will be more about the features and benefits and the value to the business and, and to that individual as it would be to create an emotional attachment to the product or service. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Ben. I've really enjoyed this conversation talking about personas as being the starting point of really building upon your brands and really engaging your end consumer or could be in business um, that you're working with. So hopefully people got a lot out of this conversation and just a good starting point to um, get them thinking about how they might attack or think about their customers and their brand in a different way, mm-hmm. in a different light. Is there any additional resources that people might need to think about when they're heading into this world? I think um, there are some really good resources online. I, I mentioned Pew and Nielsen Data and Helix Personas. Um, Census also comes out with um, a social media report every year, mm-hmm. and it's a fantastic document that helps you understand how social media and offline behavior overlap. So you know, the frequency at which someone is watching TV 
and is surfing on social media at the same time, for example, how long it is, what channels they use, stuff like that. But there's also the Facebook business website has some fantastic information around consumer targeting. And it'll actually allows you to play. If you have a Facebook account, you can play with the demographic targeting tools for free. So I would suggest going in there and seeing, you know, playing around with it. You don't have to actually pay for anything. Go in and, and try it out. Educate yourself as best as you can around consumer personas, around demographic information, around, you know, what, what your, who your consumer is. And then bring in a specialist to help you augment that information and then action the insights that you gather from it. Well, thanks, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. If anyone wants to reach out, get a hold of someone like yourself, where can they um, find you? Uh, They can go to my website, benshapiro.com, and it contains information about the variety of services that I offer, Mm -hmm. or they can find me on LinkedIn as well. Well, Thanks, Ben. I really appreciate the chat today, talking all about personas, but what that actually means to a business and the impacts that it can have in terms of results at the end of the day. So, yep. Yeah, it's been amazing to hear some of the outcomes that can get turned around by just putting a lot of effort description to mm. face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. And the amount of data behind that, right, to get to that point is is really what's driving it. So thanks, Ben. I really appreciate your time and joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.